if you're a guest here, my name is Stuart McRae. I am serve as one of the pastors here. I have a joy and privilege of serving on staff as, as well. Um, it is just wonderful that you are here. If, if, you're, if you're local and you're a guest and you're searching for a new home, we, we sure hope that you make Grace Bible Church your home. If you're here and you're a guest with family, Thanks. This is just so great to see all of you here and to be able to worship our great God and Savior alongside of you, and, and certainly as we do that now, sitting underneath the authority of God's word. Uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to finish our, our, our little Advent series here as we've been going through Isaiah chapter 7 through 9. This has been amazing, how rich this has been to, to go through the Old Testament and, and see Christ magnified and glorified, and we're going to do some more of that this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read the first seven verses, if you'll follow along as I, as I read. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, when he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping, warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And, then the, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. <clears throat> Well, we're in the midst of a season that is often described as the, the most wonderful time of the year. And there is much to celebrate. But two days before Christmas, we set time apart to celebrate the sending of the Son, Jesus, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us. And in many ways, this is a wonderful time of the year. And Yet, life doesn't stop because we're in the Christmas season, does it? And maybe more to the point, hardships, suffering, worries, trouble, these things don't take holiday, do they? It may be the most wonder, wonderful time of the year, and, and yet I, I know that there are some of us who right now struggle with, with chronic pain that, that just doesn't know that we're on vacation, does it? There are family members who are sick and some are dying. 
marriages that are in disarray and hearts that are broken. And if that all wasn't enough, Satan, the accuser, the sin that remains in believers, the temptation, this fallen, broken world, they don't care that it's the most wonderful time of the year. The, the, the grittiness of life doesn't take vacations, does it? And in all of this trouble, peace, real soul-satisfying peace can, can seem elusive, can't it? Trouble abounds in this fallen and broken world, but, but listen, the, the hope for peace, the hope for peace in troubling times is secure in the rule and reign of King Jesus. The temptation in times of trouble is to act like King Ahaz, who we've been hearing about, and, and to seek our peace in people and things other than God. For Ahaz, it was in the godless king of the Assyrians. And although Ahaz found momentary peace, his godless alliance would ultimately be faithful, faithless Judah's undoing. Assyria would be the, the cause of Judah's first deportation, and then later Babylon would be used by God to, to do uh, their final and full deportation and throwing them into exile. But God promised there would be a remnant that he would preserve amongst those thrown into the exile. But, but in times of trouble, the temptation will always be for God's people to put hope in godless things to fear godless things, to seek wisdom in godless things, and to look to things other than God for their peace. And listen, God, God's people, we, we live in troubling times. In our text, Isaiah gives the, the faithful remnant hope for peace in troubling times, in the exile. In our passage, Isaiah is saying the hope for peace in troubling times is secure in the coming rule and reign of King Jesus. If you don't walk away with much else from this sermon this morning, walk away with this. The hope for peace in troubling times is secure in the coming reign and rule of King Jesus. This passage, three parts, verses one through three, verses four through five, and then verses six through seven. Isaiah eight ended in the darkness and gloom of a corrupt and wicked people who were seeking wisdom from, from mediums and rejecting the wisdom of God. People who were roaming the earth in angry despair and cursing God. But in our passage this morning, Isaiah prophesied of a, of a new day, of a new day to come to give hope for those who would soon be in exile. Let's reread verses one through three, following with me. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. 
You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. What we see in these verses is that Isaiah's prophecy about the hope for peace in troubling times. This is the hope for peace in troubling times. The skill in this writing is, is really worth noting. We go from the end of chapter 8 and verse 22 where Isaiah says this, and, and note, note some of the, the wordplay that he does at the end of 8 and beginning of 9. End of 8, Isaiah says, and they, they, uh, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. And then to the first part of chapter 9 where he says, but... There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah's poetic language of darkness and light were metaphors referring to both spiritual and physical oppression and liberation. Spiritual, primarily, but most certainly to physical as well. And, and note, this liberation, even though seen in the future, is seen as good as done. Notice it's in the past tense. In the mind of God, spoken through the prophet Isaiah, the liberation of his people is spoken as an already finished work. Isaiah is saying, look forward to your liberation. It is certain God has already done it for you. Now, this is important. L listen, this is, this is important. The, the great reversal from oppression to liberation that God did for his people was, was not because they deserved it, nor because they earned it. There was no contribution to their liberation. Their salvation was wholly due to God's grace. One commentator well says, with the suddenness of dawn comes the announcement that light has appeared to these people. They did not produce it, nor are they responsible for it. Where they had been groping in darkness or sitting in the land of death's shadow, they suddenly find themselves blinking in the light. What we're seeing here is the, the beautiful, sweet promise of God's grace triumphing over our sin. We all once found ourselves in similar darkness, away from God's presence, but God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and in the dark, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Isaiah prophesied of the coming of Jesus who would vanquish the darkness by the grace of his marvelous light. And John seemingly picks up this theme and applies it to Jesus in John 1, 4 through 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later in John 8, 5, Jesus would say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in, what, what do you think? Darkness. But will have the light of life. 
Jesus is the embodiment of the light that Isaiah speaks of. The first place to come under attack by the Assyrians was in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, or as it would later be known as Galilee of the nations. The Galileans knew oppression and despair. They were the first to willfully enter into darkness uh, by the Assyrians. But, but God, in his grace, turned their darkness into light and allowed the ancestors of those who entered into despair first to be those who would first see the light of Jesus. Maybe you'll recall Matthew chapter four, starting in verse 13, it says, and leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And Matthew says that Jesus did that for this reason. He went to the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what the, was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, shadow of death on them has light dawned. And then, and then Matthew concludes, he says, for that time, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is God's grace on display. They didn't earn God's favor, nor did they deserve God's favor, but God, by his grace, poured out his liberating light into their darkness. Don't you see it? Look, verse three, you have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. This is no meager increase. And this is, this is not only just increase amongst ethnic Jews. No, this is the multiplication of the faithful remnant of the people of God from all times and in all places. This is a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and tribe, peoples and languages, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Oh, this is rejoicing. This is rejoicing like when the harvest comes in. We don't, we're not farmers. Maybe this is like the rejoicing when we see the big buffet line or when all the Thanksgiving meal is poured out. Their food was at the harvest. When the harvest came in, it was celebration. This is also like celebrating the spoils of war, of victory. But the source of joy is not in the gifts, but in the giver. They rejoice before you. They rejoiced before their liberator, the one who freed them and saved them. Isaiah boldly spoke of a day when the light of God through Christ Jesus would invade the darkness and banish it from the people of God. This prophecy was to give the remnant hope in the troubling times that they would experience in the exile. This was to give hope, not because it would immediately happen, but because it was to be immediately clear to the eye of faith that it was as good as done, because God had promised it. Those walking in darkness can see the light ahead and are sustained by the hope of peace in troubling times. This promise of peace through liberation is at a time of rejoicing, and it is a sure thing, but how? 
How? How is it secured? How is it a sure thing? Let's read verses four through five. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In these verses, the prophet Isaiah tells the remnant that the hope for peace in troubling times is sure because it is secured. The hope for peace in troubling times is sure because it is secured. The question is how, how? We probably noticed the word four at the beginning of verses four and five, and maybe even noticed that beginning of six. We'll get to six in a, in a moment. But this word for, what Isaiah is doing is he's giving us explanations or reasons for how the hope of peace is secured. Two reasons, one and four, one and five, and we'll get to six in a minute. The language that is used to describe this liberation is that of military conquest. Our liberator is fighting for us. And you'll note once again that we play no part in this. We enjoy the liberation that the liberator achieved. He's the one who does the liberating. We're the ones who enjoy the liberation that he achieved. There is another that fights and wins the battle for us. Now, the liberator's victory is likened to that of Gideon's victory in Judges 6 through 7. Gideon was one of the judges of Israel that God called and used to liberate his people from the oppression of the Midianites. If you recall, God, God intentionally dwindles Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300. And then what's more, God's strategy for Gideon to obtain the victory was for his army, army to, to blow trumpets, uh, to break jars, and to uh, wave torches in the night. And God used this, this nonsense to confound the Midianites, confuse them, and throw them into anarchy in such a way where they actually started to kill each other with their own swords. God gave victory to his people, and they didn't even have to lift a sword. Israel was powerless to liberate themselves. They were oppressed and enslaved to the Midianites and had no hope apart from God's gracious, liberating victory over their enemies. And the liberation that God achieved for his people was certainly over physical oppression. But, but under, underneath, underneath that oppression was the more crippling oppression brought on by sin and Satan. Listen, this is, this is very important. This is very important to understand our Old Testament and, and how the people of God engage with God and their enemies. It's also very important about how we do the same. Listen, each and every battle that the people of God have fought was, yes, most certainly about an enemy across the battlefield. But the real battle was first and foremost in their very hearts. The question for God's people is would they, like Gideon's army of 300, trust God to win the battle? And here's why, here's the thing. If God's people 
would trust in him for their victory, their, their enemies were an already defeated enemy. God's people have always been fighting already defeated enemies. In Joshua, the people of God are entering into the promised land and they are going to meet uh, much more equipped, much larger enemies than, than they. But, but they have the one true God on their side. In Joshua chapter one, we read, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, <laughs> this is good, every, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, just as I promised Moses. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But before they even stepped on the battlefield, in the mind of God, the battles that lie ahead had already been won and the land was already theirs. All God's people had to do was to trust him. So here's how this played out. You guys know this. If they trusted God, their enemies, no matter how big, how strong, would be defeated. And when they did not trust God, their enemies, no matter how small and how meager and weak, would defeat them. The same was true even for Ahaz. We read this back in chapter 7. God told Ahaz that Israel and Syria's attempts would be thwarted if he would trust him. But he did not. And yet, despite faithless Ahaz, for a time, God still protected his people. Listen, God through Isaiah is most certainly promising liberation from real physical oppression. There, there is no doubt. One day, he will destroy all of his enemies. Every, every Babylon will come crushing and crumbling down. And he will make every wrong right, and there will be no more oppression and suffering, and peace will reign. But, but the whole of what Isaiah is talking about is, is driving towards a final liberation that is even greater, an even greater oppression than that of sin and Satan. The, the, the hope for peace in troubling times is sure because it is secured through the person and work of Jesus. Do you remember in Luke 4 where Jesus famously read from Isaiah 61 in the synagogue? Here's what Jesus read, and he applied it to himself. He says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And, and, and through his death and his resurrection, he did that. Jesus set at liberty those who are oppressed. In Colossians 2, 13 through 14, we read, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. But don't you see, through the cross, our sins have been forgiven and the record of debt that stood against us has been canceled. We have been liberated by the cross from sin's oppression. 
Satan's seemingly unbreakable yoke of slavery has been shattered. We are no longer slaves to his oppressive rule, but have been liberated to be slaves of God under his gracious rule. But don't you see it, brothers and sisters in Christ? Just like the Old Testament saints, we fight against an already defeated enemy. The question is for us, will we trust God? God has already won us the victory in Christ Jesus. The battles that we fight against leftover indwelling sin is an already canceled sin. It has no power over us. That's why the old great hymn says, Jesus breaks the power of canceled sin. The battles that we fight against Satan, the accuser, is a battle against an enemy who's already been disarmed. He's no longer our master and has no authority over us. Brothers and sisters, when we feel trapped and powerless against our sin, when we feel like our, our anger is the only response to personal offense or anxiety is the only place that we can turn in times of stress, or when we feel like distraction with food, drink, Porn entertainment is our, is our only hope and comfort. When that familiar sin seems too strong to resist, when it, when it feels like the accuser has the upper hand, brothers and sisters, we've forgotten and we must remember the battle has already been won. We must remember and we must trust in God for just like those who were put out in exile, he had already gone before them and won them the victory. It was as good as done. Yes, we say no to sin and Satan because we can. The victory's been won. Yes, we can say yes to righteousness in God. Fight sin with everything you have. Resist the devil but do so knowing that God has already won you the victory in Christ Jesus. So trust in him. The hope for peace in troubling times is sure because it is secured. But who is this liberator who frees us from sin and death? Let's read verses six through seven. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In these verses, the prophet Isaiah tells us, tells the, uh, tells the remnant that the hope for peace and troubling times is secured in the coming rule and reign of King Jesus. Now, this is no surprise for us, especially in light of what we've been talking about in our sermon, but most certainly because of that we live on this side of the Christ's death and resurrection. We, we know this to be true, but for those in Isaiah's day, those who would eventually be taken off into exile, this is a plot twist. 
This was not what they expected. God's answer for who would bring liberation to the oppressed was a baby. This last four in verse six is Isaiah's explanation or reason for how the military conquest in verses four through five will be brought about. Verse six is the reason for the reasons in verses four and five. The birth of Jesus is the ultimate reason given for our liberation and thus how we have peace in troubling times. Pastor Ray Ortland well said, when we get close enough to the secret of world peace to see it clearly, what, what do we discover? Uh, against our expectations, we find weakness, overwhelming power, and, and foolishness outfoxing wisdom. Verses six through seven give us this, this very clear picture that the coming child would, would far surpass any human. Israel had been its own undoing. The, the, the kingdom had fallen apart from the inside due to sin and, and their faithlessness. But in God's faithfulness, he would send Jesus to be the long-awaited forever king that was promised to David. These verses serve to not only uphold the, the humanity of Jesus, but also the deity of Jesus. Jesus is both Truly man, he will be born as a male child, and Jesus is truly God. His name, that is his character, will be that of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Verse six describes this coming conquering king, and verse seven describes this coming, conquering king's kingdom. <laughs> Verse six, the conquering king. He's a wonderful counselor. Jesus is wisdom. <laughs> in fact, in the Hebrew, wonderful speaks of extraordinary. Jesus is wisdom that's otherworldly. He is wisdom that far surpasses that of wise King Solomon because Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom. And this is good news for sinners like us because sin makes us foolish and fools. Fools that think our ways are better than God's ways. Fools that doubt God and believe that we are worthy of worship. But the wonderful counselor, he comes to rescue fools like us and to bring us under his wise rule and reign. Mighty God. Jesus is the almighty God in human form. He was, yes, descended from David according to the flesh, but he Yes, is God over all, blessed forever. This God-man defeats all his enemies and reigns triumphant. And this is good news for sinners like us because we were in bondage to sin and Satan, but, but Jesus liberated us and set us free to serve and worship him. 
everlasting father. Jesus, like a father, loves his people with an everlasting love. And don't take this title as to be meaning that he's the first person of the Trinity. Remember, these names speak to his being and his character. Jesus cares for his people with a father-like compassion. And this is good news for sinners who were once enemies of God, but are now brought into the, the family of God and are eternally cared for. Prince of Peace. Jesus is peace. If you want peace, we find it in a person. Jesus is the king of shalom. He is the messianic bringer of God's peace. And in John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And here's the result. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But, but most of all, Jesus ends the strife and hostility between God and man through his death on the cross. And this is good news for treasonous rebels like us to God's throne. For since we have been justified by faith in Christ Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse seven describes this conquering king's kingdom. Jesus will sit on the eternal throne of David and his, his empire will forever expand and be a perfect reflection of his character, justice and righteousness. This kingdom will be unchanging in its character. Never again will evil be called good and, and, and good evil. This, this kingdom will be unchanging because its king will be unchanging. Jesus will establish it and, and uphold it like he did when he created the universe and as he does now with his hands and he will do so with justice and with righteousness forever. Forever. Gosh, this had to be good news to, to those that heard what Isaiah was saying. Ahaz blew it, and he won't be the only one, and they will be thrown out of the land. Will God still keep his promises? What happens to this kingdom and this throne that we heard about? And they heard this. And what, what, what faith-producing words these must have been to hear that God's promise to David would be fulfilled and his throne would be occupied by the forever king. God keeps his promises. And friends, might I suggest, <laughs> might I suggest that since we live in a day with imperfect governments and imperfect leaders as well, that this too should be good news for us. There is a king and a kingdom that is marked by peace. And the creator of the universe upholds it with justice and with righteousness. And it will not be thwarted and it will never end. <laughs> That's good news. And what's more, 
God guarantees it. God's guarantee that all of this will happen. We, we see this at the end of seven. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do us, will do this. The sending of God's son unless the liberation of God's people from oppression is guaranteed, guaranteed on the basis of the zeal of the Lord of hosts. The, the zeal, the, the, the deep passion of the Lord of hosts, the, the Yahweh of heaven's armies is what's driving him to do all that he said he would do. God is deeply passionate for his own glory and he's zealous for those whom he created for his own glory. In Ezekiel 36, we hear God say this very thing as he speaks about the victory he will win for his people. This is, this is both humbling and this is both hopeful. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate my holiness of, the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Zealous for his own glory, God guarantees that he will liberate his people those whom he created for his own glory. The hope for peace in troubling times is secured in the coming reign and rule of King Jesus. For those who originally heard this prophetic word from Isaiah, their hope for peace in troubling times that the exile would bring was, was looking to Christ's first advent, his, his first coming. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. For us who live some 2,000 plus years later after Jesus' first advent, we not only live in the good of all that he accomplished in his coming, in his living, in his dying, and in his resurrection, but we now look to his second advent, his second coming. You see, our story is not so dissimilar. We too are called exiles. This is not our home. Oh, how we long for the day when we can live in perfect harmony and communion with Jesus and with others. But we do live in this foreign land this fallen and broken world, and so we too face deep trouble. And I know you know this. We can face neighbors or coworkers or friends or even family who, who mock and mistreat us. We can toil at our jobs, surrounded by greed and selfish ambition and injustice. Our politicians in government are stained with sin, and what's more, Even in our own hearts, we battle against the destructiveness of leftover indulging sin with its painful effects. We will continue to live in troubling times until either the Lord returns or we go home to be with him. 
And much like those in Isaiah's time who were to cling to the prophetic promises that God spoke to them to give them hope for peace in troubling times, we too are to look and trust in the God who makes prophetic promises, sure promises in Christ Jesus to give us hope for peace in troubling times. In Jesus' second advent, he will return He will fully and finally defeat all the enemies of God's people and every rebel against his throne. Not one Babylon will stand against King Jesus. Even even Satan will fall and be destroyed fully and finally. John's words in Revelation, these these are some of the words that we're supposed to cling to to give us hope for peace in troubling times. John's words are true and they are as good as done. John says in Revelation 21, starting verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be as God, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean, no sin, nothing unholy will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Trust these. They're as good as done. God has promised them. This is our hope in times of trouble. Brothers and sisters, we're not going to escape trouble this side of heaven, and life doesn't take vacations. And so we're called to cling to the sweet and precious promises of our faithful God. Our hope for peace in troubling times is secure in the coming rule and reign of King Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is true because you have said it. And we just pray, Father, that you would give us more grace to trust you. To trust you that you have already won the victory for us in Christ Jesus. We we fight a defeated foe. Oh, help us to remember these sweet truths and fight in the good of them. Fight vigorously and hard, but fighting by faith, by faith in the Son of God. Give us help, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.